Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, coming to you from the Coming Home Network International in Central Ohio, but we're coming to you over EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Thank you for joining us on this weekly program in which at least the tradition has been of late that I invite the Journey Home guest from this week to stick around a little bit longer to join me on the Deep in Scripture program so that we can discuss more in detail scriptures that either helped the guest on his journey home or that he came to see differently, maybe even for the first time after he became Catholic. And our guest this week on the journey home, if you were able to watch it on Monday night, was Jason Simon. And just to remind you, if you did see the show or maybe if you didn't, uh, his journey is that Jason and his wife Grace They direct the Evangelical Catholic in Madison, Wisconsin, and serve on the staff of the UW-Madison Catholic Campus Ministry. Jason and Grace both receive their Masters of Divinity from the University of Notre Dame. They work with dioceses, parishes, and campus ministries around the country to help them be international, excuse me, intentional in the mission. International too, right, Jason? Not at this point, but okay. maybe some... <laughs> there was a, a prophetic word all yeah. of a sudden. <laughs> okay, Lord. <laughs> uh, intentional in the mes- mission of evangelization, reaching out especially to young adults and college students, and they have three children and reside in Madison, Wisconsin. So, Jason, welcome to Deep Scripture. Thank you. It's great to be here. It, it is good, and it's also good to hear what you're doing now that you've come home to the church, that... Um, you haven't decided to pick a nice comfy pillow and sit back and relax and enjoy the journey, mm-hmm. but that you're recognizing that the call to evangelization, which you felt before you were Catholic, yeah. is really the call of every disciple of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really helped. Uh, when when I One of my big hesitations in becoming Catholic was I had on my heart to uh, reach out to the lost, broken, hurting of the world and I was doing that with various Protestant denominations and ministries, and I didn't see Catholics doing that, but then I started reading uh, Pope John Paul II and Pope Paul VI and uh, evangelization in the modern world, and um, like, wow, if this is what the Church is about, then I'm in. Well, something you mentioned on the program <clears throat> Monday night that uh, uh, struck me was there was a time when you and your wife, wife-to-be eventually, though you were mm-hmm. still at the time dating, had both had a reawakening of your faith. Grace is a lifelong Catholic, and you brought up Assembly of God and then later uh, became kind of an independent evangelical, those you know, yes. self-made independent churches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there was a moment when you both confirmed that you both had in your heart this desire, desire to be committed to making disciples. Mm-hmm. But you couldn't do it with her because she was Catholic and you weren't. Right, right. <laughs> and you weren't interested in that because the idea of, I, I would say at that point, the idea of, of, of being a disciple maker for the Catholic Church is, wasn't fitting within your categories of what it meant to follow Jesus. No, I couldn't see how that would work. Yeah, I mean, I'd never seen it work. I'd never, I, I saw it on one one retreat, but never lived out in a community. So it was... Or in a Catholic campus ministry, I never saw that. So it was, uh, yeah, it was hard for me to see how that would work. How long have you been a Catholic now? Uh, Twelve years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Before we jump into the text, which is a great text, Mm -hmm. I'd like to ask why you think it is that Catholics in general don't seem to be able to catch the vision Mm -hmm. for evangelization. I mean, I hate to say that, and you Catholics out there are going to get mad at me, but Jason, wouldn't you agree that from the outside of the church, when you and I were both, I never saw Catholics evangelize. Right. I went 40 years Mm. before any Catholic ever talked to me about their faith, and I knew many, I played baseball with the younger brother of the coach of the Detroit Tigers, you know, Mm. so I mean, I know Catholics in their lifelong, they never once talked to me about their faith. Yeah. What is it? Yeah, I, I, it's, it's several reasons. Um, Dr. William Portier at the University of Dayton wrote a great article a few years back. It's it's available online for free uh, through on uh, Comunio's uh, journal, and uh, 
It's called Here Come the Evangelical Catholics. And he <laughs> says in there, um, which, which I agree with, that uh, Catholicism really got used to a Catholic ghetto where uh, kids were raised in a culture of Catholicism and just naturally gravitated to, toward Catholicism as part of their upbringing, part of their neighborhood identity. And when, when that Catholic ghetto, with, with uh, more pluralism in the culture, that Catholic ghetto uh, dissolved and left Catholics uh, tr- searching for an identity, searching for who they were, uh, no longer was the was the neighborhood giving them the religion. They really had to realize it themselves. And I think, I think during those years, there wasn't a, an a urgent need for evangelization, because outside of the family or outside of the neighborhood and outside of what what the just cultural identity of Catholicism gave you. So I think articulating faith is a, is still a tricky thing because it it wasn't part of what we needed to do with the broader culture. And also, I think, importing a lot of the Protestant ways of evangelizing, um, preaching on the street, that sort of thing, doesn't fit with a Catholic ethos. And so so there's hesitation that way, too. Yeah, if I could, I'd like to add two mm-hmm. things to that, too. Um, and I may have said this on the program before, um, that I do believe that one of the problems in America especially mm-hmm. is that... 200 years ago, a little over 200 years ago, after the American Revolution, was the first time in the British colonies of the United States, which was basically the United States, 13 colonies, it was the first time that the penal laws were not in operation. Hmm. So it was the first time that a Catholic could live as an American. So we're talking 18 or 1780s. Mm-hmm. Our first bishop, John Carroll, who was at the time a suppressed Jesuit, became our first bishop, his expressed primary goal was to help these minority Catholics become Americans. Hmm. And so there was almost an intentional downplaying Hmm. of reaching out to the rest of America. Hmm. At At the end of the American Revolution, there were 3 million Americans. 30,000 Catholics, distributed in only in Maryland, hmm. Pennsylvania, and then the, the ones who immigrated to Maryland. So you know, I've got three volumes of letters from John Carroll, and not once do I find one encouragement for them to reach out to evangelize. It's for them to become empowered to be Americans. Mm-hmm. So we Catholics in America began with the idea of becoming American, mm-hmm. rather than making American Catholic. Yeah, interesting. And so that's there in our blood mm-hmm. in America. And so surviving as Catholics. I think another thing that I've, I've seen is kind of in the way that Catholics versus Protestants interpret something like John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches. Mm-hmm. So it talks about abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it bear, abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Mm-hmm. Making fruit. Mm-hmm. Right. As an evangelical, when I preached that passage, what was the fruit? Evangelization. Right, right. right. Catholics mm-hmm. generally see the fruit as a virtues. Mm-hmm. It, and it's, it's true. Yeah. It's both and. Right. We are to grow in virtue and holiness, but in the pendulum swung in the Protestant world, it was evangelization. Mm -hmm. In the Catholic world, it tends to be personal virtue and holiness. Yes, yes. Yeah, how powerful it would be to combine the two, which is what the new evangelization is. Yeah. It's exactly right. I mean, you've got to grow in virtue Mm -hmm. because, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15, you've got to have a reason be able to give a reason for the hope that it was in you. Yes. But you also have to have a clear conscience, Mm -hmm. he says in there. You've got to be able to do it with love and charity and kindness Mm -hmm. with a clear conscience so that when they look at your life, your witness. Okay. Yeah, and Pope Paul VI talks about that in Evangelii Nuntiandi, talking talking about the compelling witness that comes about as we allow Christ to change us on the inside into who he is and the world sees his eyes in our eyes and his hands and our hands, and then the, then the world asks, what is it? What is it with you? Rather than just uh, preaching on the street corner, really getting 
dirty with people and loving them in the trenches. Well, I, yeah. well, God bless you and, and your wife, Grace, and your work. It's Thank a, you. a really needed work, uh, both reaching out to those that don't know the Catholic faith, but also Catholics that have fallen away and are at college mm-hmm. and are just away from family, right? Yes. No one's reminding them to go to Mass or go to confession. Right, especially that. Yeah, so mm-hmm. you're there. You've chosen... Oh, that's right, the scripture program. You've, you've chosen, <laughs> though we've covered some scriptures, yeah. you've chosen Hebrews 12, 1 mm. through 3, mm-hmm. and that's a great passage. Before I read it, just in general, why did you choose this for our discussion? Well, I think as a Catholic, this scripture came alive for me, especially verse 1, but then the rest of it, um, seeing, seeing the rest of it in the context of this exhortation based on verse 1, uh, really helped me see see the power of of what this author to the Hebrews is doing uh, in chapter eleven, but then coming into the triumphant chapter twelve. Yeah. All right. Well, let me read. I'll read chapter twelve, verses one through three, mm-hmm. and then when I get done, what I'd like you to do is to um, begin though by trying to reflect back on mm-hmm. how. You would have understand this passage if you saw it at all mm-hmm. back when you were an evangelical, mm-hmm. either assembly of God or a totally independent evangelical. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Jason, do you remember thinking about this passage? Were you confronted with it all before your Catholic journey? I remember um, as a kid reflecting with my parents about what heaven would be like. And I remember, um, so there's no tears, there's no suffering in heaven. And I remember asking them, so can Grandpa see us on earth? And you know, real, um, not confusion, but I I guess sort of agnosticism about that, (laughs) whether he could see us or not, Uh, because if he could see us, wouldn't he be suffering? And because of all the horrible things happening on earth, and um, if he can't see us, then, um, you know, what's he doing? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And, uh, And never really having clear answers on that or um, understanding how that whole dynamic worked. Yeah. And, yeah, so so I would say as a Protestant or growing up, there was just kind of an agnosticism about this this cloud of witnesses, uh, what what those in heaven were doing, um, yeah. were doing in heaven. And, and if I could, let me... I remember the last time I preached on this passage. I was a Presbyterian pastor. I was a senior pastor. And I, the, the sanctuary of the church, where my last assignment, was different than your usual Presbyterian church because normally you would not have any kind of icons or mm-hmm. even glass windows portraying pictures or statues. Generally in a Presbyterian church, at least my experience, you might have a cross up front. Mm-hmm. Generally you would mm-hmm. have a cross up front. But in this church, at some point, either a previous pastor or a benefactor had given to the church six large, uh, what do you call it, relief mm-hmm. carvings of the reformers. Hmm. So there on the walls, when I stood in front of the congregation, to my right on the wall were three of these large stone relief pictures. Wow. And to the left there were three more. And there was Luther and Calvin and Zwingli <laughs> and Bucer 
and Bullinger and Melanchthon. Wow. There they were. I think one of them, excuse me, was John Knox, of course, mm-hmm. Presbyterian. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when I preached on this cloud of witnesses, our understanding of the cloud of mm. witnesses were the human witnesses mm. of our tradition. Mm-hmm. And so I could just point out and look at Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and and whatever. Mm. Um, or we could expand that to modern um, missionaries, martyrs, mm-hmm. or even a Billy Graham or mm-hmm. these great witnesses. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the idea was bringing it way to home, that we are surrounded by these brave folk. Mm-hmm. So what are we doing sitting there on our you-know-whats? Yeah, Let's get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. The idea that I'm thinking about those that have gone before us in that, even when I think of Luther and Calvin, that, like you said, I was... That wasn't where I was thinking. Right. Or that they didn't even see what we're doing right, here. Right, right. But they were a witness to us because they had given their life. In the Assembly yes. of God, you had people right. that had been brave to pull that group out mm-hmm. of everything else mm-hmm. to set you up. They were the great yes. heroes. Yes, Or even heroes, yeah, still living today. So we have these, all these in chapter 11 who have gone before us, and we have great witnesses today, and since we're surrounded by them, let's... Let's go. Yeah, the idea mm-hmm. is not so much in chapter 11, Hebrews, that we're, that Abraham, Isaac, right. Jake, and our, uh, well, though we do believe they're in heaven, but that they're watching us, watching yeah. us, but mm-hmm. their model mm-hmm. in their time period, in their culture context, hey, here we are in ours. Right, right. And we might have, a, then we might have a great football player come who'd given his life to Jesus and he's a witness for us. Yes. Or a baseball player or a politician. Well, if there's any of those. And then, you know. The mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that was our cloud of witnesses. Yes, yes. Or it might be the pillars of our church. There's old, you know, 90-year-old, what's his name, who's been with the church forever. And, you know, yes. Those are the witnesses. Mm-hmm. But any idea of a communion of saints. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, now your background also as an assembly of God, you didn't have any problem with this idea of the need to set sin aside, run with perseverance, right. looking to Jesus, mm. you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. That was no problem. For me as a Calvinist, there were some issues there, but for you... Right. No-, no, no problem at all. Yeah, the, the rest of it, um, I guess the, the rest of it just takes on further meaning when you put it in the context of a race, which is what he's doing and thinking about that culture and having a, a, a stadium full of people watching this race happen. And uh, the, whole, the whole race, the arena setting is set up more beautifully, I think, by the, the Catholic view of the, the cloud of witnesses. Yeah, if you're in a, mm-hmm. a once saved, always Protestant perspective, the, the idea of the race loses some of its oomph because mm-hmm. you're all going to win. Right, right. You set to Jesus, so you're all going to win. Um, Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of that, and you've accepted him, so you're riding on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, he's right. running the race for right, you. Right, right. You're going to ride. What about, the, the for your background, the the aspect of, of suffering mm-hmm. and endurance, the pain, the weariness? Mm-hmm. There, there are some Assembly of God preachers that almost – borderline as mm-hmm. a wealth and wealth a uh, 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 wealth and um uh, what am I want to say you know the the idea that you're going to be healthy you're going to be wealthy yes, yes. Uh, and so if you're suffering you're not believing mm-hmm. enough right 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 yes exactly yeah we heard that our our church there there was a real divide in our church about that but um yeah, the, this this definitely speaks to that, and and almost taking for granted that we're going to be able to suffer, that, that we're going to well be able to, we're gonna have the privilege of suffering alongside Christ, because um, He's our example, and look at what He suffered uh, at the hands of sinful men. That's right, and mm-hmm. so did that great cloud of witnesses mm-hmm. that are looking on us. Mm-hmm. At what point did you start recognizing? the other way of seeing this, Mm -hmm. maybe the authentic context of what he is speaking. Yeah. It wasn't right away in in my Catholicism. This the the idea of the the communion of saints was something that came came about later. Um, I think I I first I first started realizing it as I mentioned in in the Journey Home program at the 
the St. Sebastian's above the catacombs when I received Eucharist. And that, oh, that's yeah. where I first felt like there was a cloud of, of great saints looking down upon me, praying for me, and feeling really unworthy in their presence. And I remember standing there before the, the painting of St. Sebastian's martyrdom uh, and the arrows and just looking at that and, and being uh, full of awe about what he did and uh, receiving the Eucharist in his church uh, where he was a patron. I, I felt really humbled by that. So I think with, with my um, awakening of faith to the Eucharist came a greater awakening to the communion of saints, and then feeling so also humbled by uh, St. Paul, you know, all those years reading his writings, being spurred on by his writings, memorizing his writings, and then realizing I could ask for his help. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, oh, it's such a beautiful thing to to see myself as a brother uh, in conversation with him mystically. Yeah, the I know as a, as a prof, uh, Protestant, when I envisioned the catacombs, they were an inspiration to me as a Protestant mm-hmm. when I re- remembered the stories. But again, it was a cloud of witnesses 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we have recorded for us now. So we, we should never forget kind of a thing, almost, mm-hmm. like, almost like the idea of the Holocaust for the Jews. You know, mm-hmm. this happened 100 years ago or so, 80 years ago. We must never forget mm-hmm. what happened then. Mm-hmm. And so there's a truth in that, of mm-hmm. course. But the the next level of, of beauty in the idea of the community of saints is it isn't just 2,000 years ago that it happened and mm-hmm. that they gave their witness, but that they are intimately present with us. Yeah, It's a mystery. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have to tackle with that? How are they intimately present with us? I think I'm still still growing in that, <laughs> yeah. And, and still the question of uh, how are they not suffering if they're looking upon us, cheering for us? I mean, my, my life isn't that bad. Maybe you could look at my life and not shed a tear. But, uh, but you know, there's plenty of lives where, where you would be shedding a tear, and yet we believe that the saints are praying for them, uh, especially in their time of suffering. So... I'm not sure how all of that works at all, but the the <laughs> miracles of those who are suffering, asking for the prayers of, of the holy ones in heaven, uh, attest to some great communion, this union that we share. And it, that picture of the church being so much larger than than the church here on earth, the the church penitent, the church triumphant, and, and those people, parts of the church being far larger than what we see here on earth with the church militant is so beautiful. And we're all running the race, cheering each other on, striving for the prize together. It is such a beautiful view. Recently, I uh, was reminded of something when uh, something uh, Dr. Scott Hahn was teaching. And uh, uh, he pointed out something that I had forgotten uh, both of us come from a Presbyterian background. In the turn of the 20th century, there were teachers at Princeton mm-hmm. who were some of the founders of the fundamentalist movement. And the interesting thing about the fundamentalist movement that they had denied the reality of miracles happening after the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did is because if they could open the door for miracles, it opened the door for Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Because the reason a person is a saint is because it's been proven Hmm. that their intercession in that cloud of witnesses changed someone's life right. in this world in an inexplainable way. Mm-hmm. That's one of the powers of this communion of saints is that they're actively, intimately about. Mm-hmm. We cannot sense them. We can't explain it. It's a mystery. Yeah. But it's a beautiful mystery that helps us know how to faithfully live out our life. Yes. All right, let's... Let's hold there, Jason. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll talk more about Hebrews 12 and maybe a little bit of Philippians 3 when mm-hmm. we come back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined today by Jason Simon, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. 
Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for Wings, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the Wings link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your wings today. Hi, this is Jerry Usher reminding you to listen to Vocation Boom Radio Saturday at 5 p.m. Eastern exclusively on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Each week I bring you dynamic interviews with bishops, priests, vocation directors, even seminarians and those who support them, all in an effort to assist the Holy Spirit in what is truly a vocation boom around the world. That's Vocation Boom Radio Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern only on EWTN Radio. CH Resources is excited to offer you Marcus Grodi's latest book, Thoughts for the Journey Home. If you're not Catholic but are looking seriously at the Catholic Church, or if you've recently entered the Church, this book will provide you with wisdom and encouragement for the journey. And if you're a lifelong Catholic, it makes a great gift for family and friends you're hoping will come home. To order a copy, visit our website at chnetwork.org or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Don't forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness to how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Jason Simon. He's a former evangelical Protestant, and he works with a group called the Evangelical Catholic, as you explained on Monday night, mm-hmm. that it's a, a really, in essence, it's, a, it's an outreach to college-age students, but in fact, you are equipping, training Catholics yes. to be able to share their faith. Right. That's really how to give it away. Mm-hmm, my, exactly. My favorite Protestant writer was a man by uh, wrote a book called How to Give Your Faith Away. Mm. Uh, his name was um, oh boy, no, names. I'm getting too old. Uh, Paul Little mm-hmm. used to write for InterVarsity, mm-hmm. and uh, he had this book called How to Give Your Faith Away. It was mm-hmm. a great book. Still yeah. is. Yeah. yeah. All the techniques are there. How to yep. give your how to share your faith. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, Hebrews 12, what more would you like to share with us from this passage? Because this is, a, again, a great challenging passage. Yeah, no, I think, I think we've, we've covered most of it. I, I just um, I love the, the thought and the encouragement that all of these great patriarchs of the Old Testament that are listed here and, and it, you know, lists all the, the persecutions that came down and probably in the, the Maccabean Rebellion here after that and how they were tortured and picturing all of these people and then extending it out for our day, um, why wouldn't we continue naming all of the martyrs and all of those who have, who have fought so hard to, to define our doctrines, who have endured great suffering to, to um, stand up for the truth of Christ and even, even being uh, fully God and fully man and, and all of the of the persecution that happened just um, before the Council of Chalcedon there and um, standing on on those foundations and uh, calling on those great cloud of witness the great cloud of witnesses as we run our run our run our race here yeah it really so, does talk about the mm-hmm. again the call to holiness mm-hmm. which is so much a part of of our faith mm-hmm. especially John Paul and Pope Benedict have both emphasized so much this call to holiness mm-hmm which would parallel your work because, I mean, look at both of them have constantly had this outreach to young Ameri- uh, young uh, youth around the world mm. as they gathered in World Youth Days, every time calling them to holiness, prayer, and evangelization. That's the theme. Yes. But also sometimes enduring suffering. And in, in this passage, it really does have to see Jesus as he is the model mm-hmm. of our enduring of suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, that phrase, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. 
I mean, that in itself um, deserves meditation. Mm. Uh, the, for every one of us, the beauty of the cloud of witnesses helps us recognize that on the other side of any dark tunnel is a light. Mm-hmm. That, that's the point for the joy that was set before him. Yes. endured the present cross. Yes. Yeah, and something else that, that strikes me um, that, that I've read in, um, different, in different saints, their reflections, and I, I think uh, is, is a beautiful aspect of Catholic theology is that suffering. So we read in Revelation that he'll wipe every tear from our eye, but the idea that there's no suffering in heaven, I think... Um, is, is an oversimplification of, of what's really happening there is Jesus stands in heaven interceding for, for all of us on earth, still having the wounds of, of the cross on him, still grieving for the lost, still seeking out after them. And he, he suffers. There's an element of suffering that he still bears for the world. And that, that the saints in heaven somehow perfectly with joy, share in his sufferings as lovers of the Lamb of God who, who is pierced, as, as his lovers standing, be, standing in, with him in heaven, looking down on earth, this great cloud of witnesses interceding for all of us on earth, running the race, enduring our own sufferings for the sake of the cross. So heaven isn't this suffering-free zone. It's a, it's a place of of cheering, but it's but they're in the shadow of of the Father, and so there's yeah. there's joy there, even in the suffering. And I think the the idea of joy and suffering coexisting is a beautiful, rich um, theology in the Catholic Church, and and it gives our sufferings gr- much greater meaning here on earth. It's not as you said before, a consequence, a mere consequence of our sin or unfaithfulness that we would endure suffering sometimes. It's a privilege, yeah. and and to see it that way. In fact, yeah, John of the Cross in his writings talks about the dark night that mm-hmm. uh, is uh, a constantly testified to experience of of great spiritual writers as well as saints throughout history that as they go through their journey, as they go through levels of mm-hmm. intimacy with our Lord, that often the the step from one level of intimacy to the not to the next is a purging time. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, a very difficult, dry time, a mm-hmm. feeling of distance from God. And if you don't know that you're going through that, right. you might think you're depressed. Or, right. uh, and so that's why the church has always said, you need spiritual directors. Yes, yes. And, and even Mother Teresa was enduring this great time of darkness. And her spiritual directors, what they had in their mind was, was John of the Cross in the great dark night and in purgation, and they kept on suggesting to Mother Teresa, maybe, maybe you're you're continuing to be purged, and their counsel wasn't helping her, because eventually um, another director says um, that maybe maybe the the darkness and the separation you feel from God is to help you love the world better, to to take upon yourself the distance and the alienation so many feel from God. And in that way, you're able to love them, to, to reach over that arc of, of, of um, darkness to reach even those who, who feel like they're beyond the grasp of God. And so even her darkness was beyond a darkness that St. John of the Cross talks about. There's a suffering that yeah. is such a privilege uh, for her, and it wasn't even a purgation. It was to help her reach out to the lost. There's so many aspects to our yeah. suffering that, that have such great meaning and we have a grid for it in the church. Yeah, and one of the, I would say, problems of Protestant theology in these areas, and I noticed this, I don't know if you did, Jason, was that it seems to me that a common difference between Catholic theology and non-Catholic theology in general, especially dealing with the mysteries of the faith, mm-hmm. is that Catholics are much more comfortable with a both-and approach, mm-hmm. where Protestant theologies often end up on one polar side of an either-or. It's either mm-hmm. this or it's that. So you have the Calvinists on one side 
once saved, always saved. God is sovereign. Mm -hmm. Man is depraved. Uh, there's nothing you can do. You're predestined. You either have salvation or you don't. And script, you have scriptures for all those things. Right. On the other side, you have the, the Methodists, the Wesleyans, probably the Assembly of God, where, you know, it's up to you. Mm -hmm. and, and, and you gotta, So it's either this or that. Right, right. As Catholics, we reckon it's a both and. Yeah, you see them both in Augustine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or, or Aquinas. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you pick and choose verses, you can come up with a Calvinist mm -hmm. Aquinas or a Methodist Aquinas. Right, and, right. But there's the mystery. Mm -hmm. God is all sovereign, mm -hmm. omnipotent, mm -hmm. omniscient, omnipotent. Mm -hmm. But he suffers. Yes. He's merciful. Mm -hmm. He cares. He forgives. Mm -hmm. Well, how's that possible? Mm -hmm. If on the one hand he never, you know, this this never changing rock solid God. Mm -hmm. There's the mystery of that. Yes. And theologians have argued with that over the centuries. Because mm -hmm. we don't want to go too far on one side, you know, and have a uh, there's a, a heresy that had God suffering too much mm -hmm. to the point where you lost the other side. Mm -hmm. But as you said, he the fact that God forgives mm -hmm. implies the fact that he loves mm -hmm implies that he can suffer. Yes. And so there's, when we look at this cloud of witnesses, they not only experienced it back then, but even now, mm -hmm. they somehow share in us with these. Yes. Let's go, let's do take some time in this other passage, mm -hmm. Jason, because um, again, there's lots here, but I want you to be able to talk about the aspects of it that came new to you. Mm -hmm. And you had mentioned a passage in Philippians, again, before I read it, why this passage? Maybe in general. Well, it for me it it goes with the other passage. It, it builds on it. Uh, whereas the one the 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 Hebrews twelve passage talks about enduring Jesus for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorned its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Uh, this this passage actually talks about where uh, Saint Paul talks about the the fellowship that can be found. In sharing in Christ's sufferings. Which is and pretty wild to think about. It takes it a step further. Let me read this, mm -hmm. and then we're going to take our final break and come back, and then when we get back, Jason will jump into this passage. Mm -hmm. I'll begin with Philippians chapter 3. I'll read 3 through 11. It's great to say, just listen to these words of St. Paul. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have s suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Mm -hmm. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Jason Simon, and you're hearing this on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Jason Simon. Jason, we're going to look at Philippians 3. Or, yeah, Philippians 3. I read... 7 through 11. Mm -hmm. Our focus was going to be on 10 through 11 because I know that was the context. 
I, even during the break, we recognize that verse 9, there's a few people out there that, that they their ears may have jumped up a little mm-hmm. bit. Why might their ears have jumped up at verse 9? Uh, well, the the where St. Paul talks about the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith and um, how that righteousness comes to us and, and what faith is. You know, it it begs the question there of, of um, and you know, and there's nothing difficult about that from the Catholic perspectives. We we would all, all Catholics should, and um, definitely the Magisterium has made clear that the righteousness that we that we receive is from God, even though yep. the sacraments bring us um, bring us into that righteousness. Um, we're we're given given it by God's mercy, but we grow in it. As we grow in holiness. Yeah, and we don't have time to go into all mm-hmm. of this. I would con- uh, encourage anyone, if you wonder what the Catholic Church teaches about salvation by faith, that by grace through faith, go to the Catechism and just mm-hmm. look up these passages. But mm-hmm. just since the biggest difference, as I look at it from my background, was because of the assumption, and this would be the Lutheran Calvinist tradition, mm-hmm. there was never a sola scriptura, never was. There was a new tradition through which Luther and Calvin looked at Scripture. And it, because it assumed the depravity of man, and there was nothing we could do hmm. towards our salvation. Therefore, the idea of, of being covered with the righteousness of Christ that covered our depravity so God would look on us and see the righteousness of Christ. That's the way they would interpret passages like this. As Catholics, we recognize we are saved by faith alone, period. Faith is a gift of grace, mm-hmm. but the main difference we see is that through baptism and through faith, we become new creatures. Mm-hmm. We're not just covered mounds of dung, mm-hmm. as Luther's purported to say, but that we really become new. My my first grandkid got baptized yesterday, mm-hmm. and when he was baptized, the old is gone, mm-hmm. the new has come, original sin is gone. Mm-hmm. He was a pure little child, mm-hmm. a new creation in the Lord. And now our responsibility is to raise him up mm-hmm. to, to do that. So, I mean, there's so much in there we could go into. And yeah. That's the righteousness that we receive by grace mm-hmm. from God, but we have faith is more than intellectual assent, right? Yes. It's all that we are. Mm-hmm. I know that when you're out evangelizing, you're telling kids, it's not merely just believe in a few new things about God. It's it's a whole lifestyle. Yes. In this passage comes back to it over and over and over. Paul says, I consider all these things rubbish. I've left them behind. Uh, I want to be found in him. I, and not, I don't want a mere righteousness of my own. I want to be infused with his life. But then he goes on and says, I strain forward. I press on. I forget. And there, it's <laughs> it's a very zealous passage of reaching out. What is the prize? I want to press. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took took hold of me. That's righteousness. I press on for this righteousness that is held out there for a for a prize. This union with God. In fact, yeah, verse twelve. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm mm-hmm. already perfect. You know, as a Calvinist, I would have said, well, I didn't. I'm not caring about being perfect. You know, I know I can't be. Well, no, he's saying, yeah, press on, press on, because Jesus said mm-hmm. back in Matthew five, we are to be perfect be as perfect. heavenly Father yes. is perfect. Yes, that's grace. That's surrender. Mm-hmm. That's commitment. That's a detachment. Mm-hmm. That's all of those things, which involve purging, which involve suffering, mm-hmm. and and that's key to the verses you wanted to focus on. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings mm-hmm. becoming like him in his death. Yeah. I guess I want to go back to sure. what you were just saying in reference uh, Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13, where he, in specifically, well, in 12, he says, now obey. <laughs> he tells him to <laughs> obey not only my presence, but in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose, and which is a beautiful yeah. statement of of what we believe as Catholics, that God is working in us to will and to act, but it's up to us to actually will and act. God's working in us to bring that about. 
um, so that we can will and act according to his good purpose. So the interplay is right there um, in, in a really a- succinct Apart verse. from Christ, we can't do anything, he right. says, in John 15. Mm-hmm. So how are we united with Christ? Mm-hmm. Well, the means that he gave from the beginning is through his sacramental graces. Mm-hmm. And through those sacramental graces that he gave to his apostles through the deposit of faith that had been passed on and recognized, we experience the graces to be different. Mm-hmm. And so therefore we are to do that. That's the passage you wrote in, yeah. in Philippians 2. We, we're given this power by God to be different, to fulfill the law. Mm-hmm. But yet we still have to say yes every day. We, yeah. we still have to do it. Yeah, we still have to do it. Yep. But this passage back in mm-hmm. ten, we yep. do have to deal with this because yeah, in yeah. doing that, mm-hmm. in following him, he's our pioneer and perfecter back in Hebrews twelve. Mm-hmm. It involved suffering. Mm-hmm. And I don't know as an assembly of God uh, person how you dealt well with suffering. You know, we would fast. Um, there, there was there was a strong teaching in in our church to fast, and uh, you know, taken taken from the Old Testament scriptures and um, understanding that fasting was a sign of repentance. It was a sign of um, need for God. Even as I long for food, I long for you, God. Move, move in this city. Move in my heart. Move in my family. So there's a strong sense of fasting, out of a sense of needing God, out of, uh, begging God. But I think um, the suffering here is a little different. And um, I, don't, I don't know how I, how I dealt with this. I know, I know when I used to read it, I, I'd be a little scared by it. I don't know what this means. I could picture martyrs um, being, you know, I've heard stories about martyrs being killed and sharing in a fellowship with Christ at that moment. Um, where, where maybe they had a vision. You see St. Stephen having a vision of the clouds opening up, and the words that he says are very similar to Jesus on the cross, forgive them. So there, you can see the, sh- the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings there, but um, how to apply this to everyday life outside of a martyrdom yeah. situation, I, I didn't know. Yeah, because, again, if you're from a more of a Calvinist, once saved, always saved perspective, if you envision facing great trial to challenge your faith. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, you would not want to uh, deny your faith bef- under torture. Mm-hmm. Well, you're not thinking you're going to lose your salvation because I accepted Jesus back in Bible camp when I was six mm-hmm. or whatever you would say that. Mm-hmm. So you're not worried about losing salvation. You also don't believe, as Catholics do, that there's layers of heaven, You know, there's, mm-hmm. there's levels of grace and, and beatitude. So I don't know. As from your perspective, uh, I, from the assembly of God, you, you would pray that under torture, that I wouldn't deny the faith. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you're praying more. I want the grace to handle suffering, no matter yes. what comes. Yes. Yes. That I'm not a bad witness to my family and to my mm-hmm. wife and to my friends, mm-hmm. because I'm claiming mm-hmm. that my life's been different with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So under cancer. Yeah. And suffering is a mere threat um, that I need to endure. I need to be faithful within. Um, and and what this passage talks about, and what what the Catholic Church has a beautiful theology for, is the opportunity of suffering. Uh, Mother Teresa used to say that the greatest tragedy in the world was wasted suffering. Yeah. <laughs> and as, what does that mean? Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> this verse background. gives you a hint about it, but it's uh, that's. That's pretty pretty heavy, yeah. um, but really beautiful to again picture our Lord's suffering, um, our Lord's desire for more souls, for for more healing in this world, for more light in the darkness, and there's a need. And Mother Teresa wrote a beautiful uh, poem or exhortation uh, called "I Thirst," and where she talks about our Lord thirsting from the cross, and um, in this sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings or sharing in his sufferings, um, sharing in that thirst gives a window to um, how, well, how voluntary asceticism could be seen um, as we as we fast or as we go without things. We're sharing in that, that desire and that need that Jesus has for, for more souls and um, for more of his salvation to 
to um, shine uh, and be received by the world, um, it, it speaks beautifully to that. Yeah, an- another parallel verse, which comes from another letter of Paul, is the the passage in Colossians 1, which, verse 24, mm-hmm. which was probably another right, verse right. that you didn't oh, uh, absolutely. have a clue yeah. with how to deal with it as, as mm-hmm. a assembly when I didn't. In which Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Yes. In my flesh, I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction Mm -hmm. for the sake of his body that is the church. Yes. I mean, from an Assembly of God perspective, what do you do with this passage? What does that mean? No idea. I remember seeing that even on my, as I was becoming Catholic, I remember seeing this and going, I have no idea what this is talking about. There probably are really smart people who know what to do with that passage from the <laughs> theology that I was brought up in, but I was never a minister and never went through the seminaries. They and, would have an answer for mm-hmm. it to fit in with that tradition. Right. But if you're locked into an either or theological right. mentality, how do you deal with the fact mm-hmm. that Christ in his sacrifice on the cross, was completely sufficient for mm-hmm. all of salvation. Mm-hmm. He paid the penalty on the cross, and it was complete in his suffering. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you deal with this? Mm-hmm. And an either-or, in a Catholic perspective, it's more like that old illustration of a mom cooking a cake, mm-hmm. making a cake. She could do it completely herself, and her mm-hmm. little four-year-old girl says, Mommy, can I help? Mm-hmm. And she doesn't need that little girl to do anything. Mm -hmm. But in her love, she lets the little girl Mm -hmm. share. In God's mystery, he shares the suffering with us, Mm -hmm. which is, again, the mystery of the joy of suffering. Yes. (laughs) It's an oxymoron. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. and wanting a church that mirrors his body, that wanting, wanting members of his body, we in the church, to mirror his sacrifice with him. Yeah, if it, it, we can only be saved in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Through baptism, we become a part of his body. Mm-hmm. We are in Jesus. Yes. And so we share with him mm-hmm. the joys and the, and sufferings, the sufferings, and we must do that freely, yeah. which is what Mother Teresa mm-hmm. did even when she went through that dry period. Yeah. She continued to offer herself and sacrifice yes. for our Lord Jesus. Yes. Jason, thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. Time flies. This is wonderful. I appreciate having you on the program on the journey home as well as this. And again, God bless you in your work with the Evangelical Catholic, evangelicalcatholic.org, right? Correct, yes. All right. Well, God bless you in grace and all your work. And thank all of you for joining us on this program. I encourage you to look at these passages up again and meditate on them and how Christ calls you to unite with him in his joy and suffering. God bless.